Thank you so much, Lee and Ellie. Yes, so if you could grab a Bible and turn it to 1 John chapter 3, that would be fantastic. We're going to be reading from verse 11 together today. And please do keep the Bible, um, your Bible open in front of you um, or open it up on an app or something just so that you can see that what I'm saying today isn't made up, uh, that I am trying my best in the power of the Spirit to teach the Word of God to you. So please do follow along. So this is 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were were righteous. So do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in the truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. This church is the word of the Lord. It is so good um, to be with you today as we unpack this fantastic passage from 1 John chapter 3. Now just to catch up with where we've got to in our sermon series on building community so far, our vision statement is, is to be a church that follows Jesus, that builds community and loves Newcastle and this region. Now since January we've been looking at this vision statement. We first looked at what it means to love the city that God has called us to as we went through the book of Jonah and looked at to the city that God called him to and how we apply that to our lives. In Lent, we then went through the spiritual disciplines. We looked at prayer, Bible reading, giving, worship, those kinds of things. And we looked at how we can be a community that follows Jesus. Now we're looking at what the Apostle John said to the early church about Christian community and how we can be a church that builds community right here in the Northeast. 
Now, you don't need me to tell you that community is a powerful thing. Community is amazing, isn't it? There is nothing like Christian community in particular, a place where you can love and be loved, a place where you can be known and know other people. But the church doesn't love community just for community's sake. We love community because community is made up of people, made in the image of God, loved by him. It is people that we're called to love, not community. We do love community, but only because it's made up of people. Bonhoeffer, the great Christian theologian who was martyred and murdered by the, by the Nazis in the Second World War, he wrote this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. Church, it's about loving people. It's people that we're called to love. And the world needs this now more than ever. Think about what's happened over this past year. We need good community modeled by the church now more than ever. It's one of the greatest gifts that the church can give the world right now. The Anglican vicar, uh, Mike Pilavacci, put it like this. The church is not called to be a business, but a family. The world is not crying out for more products. People are just desperate to belong. Church, we are not called to build a brand. We are not called to build a business. We are not called to do, we're not called to do any of that stuff. What we're simply called to do is to build family because we are family. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at a few things about how we can build family together. Brogan spoke two weeks ago about how we're a family that knows that we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's one of the foundational things that is a Christian identity, isn't it? We know that we've been forgiven by Jesus, even when we didn't deserve it. Jesus died for us and forgave us. Last week, James was teaching us about how we're a community that's anointed in the power of the Spirit to hold out the truth of God's Word when it's popular and when it's not popular. And today, as I've said, we're in 1 John chapter 3, and we're looking at how we can build a loving community that models family well together. Now, as we go through these verses, we're going to look at three things. Firstly, we're going to look at why does community break down? Secondly, we're going to look at how, a, how can a loving community be restored to what it was intended to be. And thirdly, we're going to look at what does a loving community look like in action. So firstly, why does community break down? This letter that we've been looking at for the past few weeks um, recently was a circular letter that was sent to lots of different churches um, in the Roman Empire, and they were all to read it out. Now, one of the things that all of these early churches would have had in common was that they would have been divided on some level. You get a sense, don't you, as, the, as you read the New Testament letters and the New Testament texts, that sometimes relationships were not always a very straightforward thing in the early churches. People were falling out, people had theological disagreements, people had relational problems. Now, why was it that all of these churches had something like that in common? Well, the answer, church, is that they had people in them. And unfortunately, we have, we have a capacity, don't we, to hurt one another. 
We have a capacity to think things about one another that aren't true. We have a capacity to judge other people. We know, don't we, that we are sinful and we don't always love in the way that we should. We don't always love in the way that has been modeled to us by Jesus Christ. So just some context to this passage. The beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, starts with the reminder that God has lavished his love on us. And because of that, we are his children. We are God's children. And that means, church, that the people sat next to you today, the people sat around you, are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So take a look around. This is your family. One of the most beautiful things about the church, I think, I've traveled um, lots of different churches over the world, and when you arrive, you just get this immediate sense of family. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, what country you come from, you get this immediate sense that there's something that binds us together. This is the family that God has created. When we baptise people here at St. Thomas's, um, the last person to be baptised was Mia, who's just sat at the front here. Um, when, when the people that are baptised come out of the water, the church speaks over them some beautiful liturgy that goes like this. We welcome you into the fellowship of faith. We are children of the same heavenly Father. We welcome you. In other words, because of what God has done, we are joined together. And in a, in, a, in a true sense, in a theological sense, Christians are joined together in a way that is even more true and even, even more strong than biological family. One theologian put it like this, the waters of baptism are thicker than blood. The waters of baptism are thicker than blood. But we know, don't we, as I've already said, that tension and sin and disunity threatens peace in families. We've seen this played out on a global scale just relatively recently, haven't we, with one particular family in the United Kingdom, the royal family, where Oprah Winfrey was brought in to uh, air all of these you know, very public falling out and all, all kinds of things. You think about the great, the great British institution that is the, that is the soap opera. The whole thing is built on the fact that families fall apart all of the time and we somehow get entertainment from watching it. We know that disunity and sin and tension happens. And this is why in verse 11 he writes this, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. that you heard from the beginning. Now, John has already used this exact same sentence in chapter two, and he does so again here. This is what you've heard from the beginning. Now, what's he saying? He's saying this, come on church, come on team, this is so foundational. This is the foundation of what we believe. This is what Jesus spent his life teaching. Think about what John would have heard Jesus say. He wrote it down actually in his gospel in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is one of the most foundational things that we believe as Christians, that we should love one another. We should love one another when we're different. 
We should love one another when we come from different backgrounds. We should love one another when we have different gifts. We should love one another when we've got different life stories. We should love one another. Now, unfortunately, in the West, we've embraced a fairly individualistic lifestyle. What, ha what matters most is my opinion. My truth is true. You can think that your truth is true if you want, but my truth is definitely true. What matters most is my feelings. And that has unfortunately infiltrated the church. And so we can often think, well, as long as my relationship with God is okay, as long as me and Jesus are tight, that's all that matters. I'm fine. If, if, that's the, if, that's, if me and Jesus are cool, I'm fine. Now, that view is an absolute anathema to the Scriptures. We are not saved in isolation. We are saved into a community. And because of that, the way that we love one another really matters. Bonhoeffer, again, in his, in his writings, Life Together, wrote this. Sin demands to have a man alone. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated someone is, the more destructive sin is. In other words, in being saved, we're not just taken from death to life, although we are, praise God. We are taken from death to life with everybody that God is saving. Now, John is saying to the church, the New Testament church, look, church, this is the dream, that you should love one another just as Jesus has loved you. From the very beginning, though, think about the, think about the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Sin threatens relationships. And John uses an example from, from Genesis. He gives in verse 12 the example of Cain and Abel. And John says this, do not be like Cain who murdered his brother. If we behave like that, John goes on to say in verses 13 and 14, then we essentially remain in the world and trapped in death. Now, it's quite an extreme example, isn't it? Don't be like Cain, who was basically a cold-blooded murderer. It's very easy to look at this verse and think, well, of course I'm not going to be like Cain. Of course I'm not going to be like him because I'm not a murderer. But look at verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. Now, John wrote this because, remember, he was there at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. This is verse 21, Matthew 5. You have heard it said to the people long ago that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you this, that anyone who is even angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Now, I think that this is one of the most challenging verses in all of the scriptures. If I'm angry towards somebody, if I judge somebody, if I'm bitter towards somebody, then it's as if I've already committed murder in my heart. I'll be subject to the same judgment. 
Well, who on earth can be free from this? We all carry around judgment in our hearts, don't we? We all carry around bitterness and hatred sometimes towards other people. We all get angry. How on earth can we build a loving community if this is the case, if we remain in this state? Well, gloriously and beautifully, John tells us how community is restored. Look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, what I really want us to notice this morning, church family, is this. John does not say that the way to fix these relational problems to fix things in any, in any part of the church is not through trying harder and harder and harder. The church will not grow because we try and work more. It won't, it won't be fixed if we just serve more all of the time. These problems don't get fixed just by striving and striving and striving. So what is John's antidote to this problem? Well, he simply appeals to the gospel, doesn't he? He simply reminds the church of the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ hung on a cross for us. Even when I was dead in my sin, Jesus hung on a cross for me. Even when I had hatred in my heart towards God, Jesus hung on a cross from me. Even when you were far from God, Jesus looked at you and set his face towards Calvary for you. Jesus laid down his life for us. What an extraordinary picture of love. Jesus gave everything for us. often tell people, don't we, that we love them. Now, I think this is a really good thing to do. In fact, we need to do it more. One of the things that I'm resolved to do more as a result of the pandemic is tell people that I love them more because it's one of the things that we really need to do, I think, in the, in the light of everything that's happened in the past year. We need constant reminders that we're loved and known. We need to tell each other that we love one another. However, because we're human beings, we often tell people that we love them and there's an ulterior motive. We want something in return. We want them to like us, or we want to feel good, or we want to get something back from them. The extraordinary thing about the example of Jesus' love that John is talking about here is this, that Jesus died for us even when we could offer nothing in return. We could do nothing to redeem ourselves, and yet Jesus still died for us. That is real love. That is unconditional love. Paul would write about this in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 when he wrote this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now what are John and Paul saying? What's John getting at here in in 1 John chapter 3? Well he's saying this, that love is not just a feeling. It's not just something that you say. Love is an action. Love is a demonstration. And the ultimate demonstration of love is this, that Jesus gave his life for you. 
Now, I know that love is more than just a feeling. You know, my closest friends, my relationship with Ellie, um, I know that feelings come and go. And yet love is a choice. I choose to put Ellie first. I choose to put people before myself. Sometimes I don't. I put myself first. But in, in, loving, in loving Ellie, in loving the people around me, I choose to love them in putting them first. Love is more than just a feeling. Love has got to be a demonstration. The remarkable thing about Jesus' love for us is that it's not just his, his, his death that demonstrates his love towards us. It's what he achieved in dying for us. If you were to see a man jump into the sea at Tynemouth or in, at Seaton Sluice and it was really stormy water and someone was to jump into the water and say, I, and with their last breath as they were in this storm, I jumped in here because I love you. You might think they were a bit crazy. Well, how does that demonstrate that they love me? However, if you were drowning in the water and you couldn't pull yourself free and somebody jumped in and said, I'm jumping in to rescue you because I love you, then suddenly it makes sense. And this is what Jesus did for us. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. How great must our sins have been? And yet how much greater was his love? And in his love, how safe we are in the hands of God. Now this is what John is communicating here in verse 16. John doesn't appeal to us to try harder and harder and harder to love one another. He doesn't say work harder and harder and harder at community. He doesn't say serve more. He doesn't say give more. He simply appeals to the gospel. He simply appeals to the gospel. It's the cross and the cross alone that gives us a way to loving community. Brogan said in his talk a few weeks ago, the cross is the only way to true community, but it is also the only requirement. The cross is the only way to true community, but it is also the only requirement. Bonhoeffer again in Life Together put it like this, our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. I have community with others, and I shall continue to have community with others only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and the deeper our community comes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another holy and for eternity. Wow. We have community only through Jesus. And through Jesus, church, we've got one another forever. Again, look around you. Look at the person sat next to you. You're going to be with these people forever. Sorry if you struggle with that, but that's the truth. You're going to be with these people forever. Now, what is the implication for this as we look to build a loving community here in Newcastle? 
What does a loving community actually look like in action? Well, remember this, that it's the gospel and the gospel alone that is our driver, not working harder. But as we remember that Jesus laid down his life for us, even when we were sinners, we too, John says, we too should lay down our lives for those around us. But the gospel is our motivation. We don't do that in order to impress people. We don't lay down our lives in order to make the vicar think that we're a better Christian or your small group leader. You don't lay down your lives in order to coerce God to love you anymore. There's nothing that you could do that would make God love you any more or any less. No, the gospel is our driver. And so we love people around us in response to the fact that Jesus first loved us. Now, church, as I've already said, behaving like this as a Christian community is more important now than it has ever been. I've said it many times from the front here at St. Thomas's. The past 12 months have not just been a COVID-19 pandemic. They've been a pandemic of loneliness. They've been a pandemic, it's been a pandemic of isolation. It's been a pandemic of all different kinds of things. But church, how can we love the people in Newcastle that don't know Jesus if we can't even get one another. Remember what Jesus said in John's gospel, by your love for one another will the world know that you are my disciples. Now in verses 17 and 18, John gives us some really practical examples of how the church can live this out. Give to one another, he says in verse 17, when you see a brother or a sister in need. In verse 18, he says, speak the truth to one another. Call people back to the truth of God's word. Do you know that that is one of the most loving things that you can do, is to remind people of the truth in the scriptures, because it's the truth that sets people free. Pointing people to the truth is an act and demonstration of love. In these verses, John gives us some really good, helpful, practical advice of how we can build a loving community together. And then it all culminates in verse 23. What do we have to do? Believe in Jesus Christ and love one another. What a beautiful summary of the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ and love one another. Now look, the world is absolutely longing for community. We are longing We are the most connected generation that has ever lived. There was a study that came out um, just a few days ago on smartphone use in the pandemic. 66% of smartphone users check their smartphone 160 times a day. Unlock their smartphone 160 times a day. The average user touches their smartphone 2,617 times 
a day. 71% of us in the past year have slept next to our phones every single night. Now, what is it that these things do? They give us connection, allegedly. They connect us to one another. Did you know that through social media or something like only three people remove from any other person in the planet? I mean, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? We are more connected than ever. But at the same time, you'll see in the, in the mainstream news, again, throughout the past 12 months, you'll see this, the same headline recurring all of the time. We're the loneliest generation that has also ever lived. We're the generation that feels the most isolated. And again, in the pandemic, in the past 12 months, people have turned to all kinds of things to cope. Alcohol, drugs, gambling. Connection does not necessarily guarantee you love. It doesn't necessarily guarantee you community. Only connection to God does. Because God is the source of all love. Connection to him is the only thing that guarantees us true community, true belonging, unconditional love, acceptance, all of those things. Now the challenge here from 1 John chapter 3, I think to all of us, is for us to not be superficial in our love. Let us really mean it. And, you know, it's going to take us, we're going to have to practice this as we go. St. Thomas's is still a relatively new church community. We're going to have to practice what it means for us to really love one another. When we ask each other, how are we doing? Do we really mean it or are we just making small talk? We're going to have to practice loving people that are different to us. That ha as I've said, that come from different parts of the world, that have different life stories, that have different experiences. We're going to have to practice this. We're going to have to have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, that we would humble ourselves. Paul wrote about this in Philippians 2, that we should have the same attitude as that of Jesus, who humbled himself, and thought of others before himself. Now, church, that's the call on us. We will get it wrong. It will be easy. It certainly won't always be easy. It is the best way to human flourishing. And I believe that it's modeled best in the church because we see it best modeled by the author of love himself, Jesus Christ. Now, we're not just called to love each other. We're also called to love the city and the region that God has placed us in. So we get to practice with one another so that when we go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, doing whatever it is that God has called us to to build his, build his kingdom, that we can begin to apply this out there in the world. And people might look at us as Christians and think, gosh, there's something different about you. 
There's something different about the way that you love me. There's something different about the way that you love one another. There's something different about your church community. And I want a bit of it. So church, this is what we're called to. As I've said, we will not always get this right. I want to say in front of all of you today that I will not always get this right. There'll be times when I, as your church leader, have to ask for your forgiveness. There'll be times when I get things wrong. There'll be times when you get things wrong. But the call on us is still the same. To love one another. I'll just end with one final really practical bit of advice from Jesus. This comes from Matthew chapter 18. I think this teaching on Jesus that I'm about to um, tell you, do look it up later at, at home when you get in, is one of the least followed bits of teaching from Jesus in the scriptures. Jesus is talking about the church community and about how to deal with division and sin in the church. And Jesus says, look, if somebody offends you, if somebody upsets you, if you feel that somebody has sinned against you, the way to deal with it is this. Go directly to that person and sort it out. Don't talk about it with anybody else. That creates gossip. Go directly to the person that has upset you or offended, offended you and have it out with them straight away. Now, in my experience, as people put this into practice, 99.9% .9 of relational problems are sorted right there and then because something that we thought was an offense against us was just a misunderstanding. You know, something that I may have said to, to Mim in a team meeting or something, um, which I've, I thought was just perfectly innocent. Mim, Mim may have, this isn't a true story, by the way, before you think it is. Uh, Mim, may have, Mim may have taken it in the wrong way and instead of coming directly to me just to clarify what I said, she may have gone home to Will and said, I cannot believe what Ben said about me or what Ben said to me. And then Will's really upset with me because he really feels for his wife and suddenly the whole thing's blown out of all proportion. But had we just dealt with it there and then, the issue is dealt with straight away. Go directly to the person. Jesus says, if that doesn't work, then take another witness with you and go back to the person. If that still doesn't work, go to the church. Now, church, if we're to love one another, I think that putting that teaching from Jesus into practice is going to be really, really foundational for us. It cuts out gossip, it cuts out misunderstanding, and it is a really great way for us to love one another. So a challenge for me, a challenge for all of us, is please, let's try and put this into practice. Let's keep short accounts of one another. Let's deal with stuff as it emerges. And let's ask the Holy Spirit that we would be able to model this to each other and to the world. That we would love one another as Christ has loved us. Now I think that that kind of community is going to be the most attractive community to be part of. Because we're forgiven. We're anointed, we have the truth of God's word, the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we can love one another. Now, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. It's a little bit different because of the um, COVID-19 pandemic. But let me just say a few things about communion and how this ties into to what we've been looking at today and the Bible passage. Communion is the family meal 
that Jesus has given us as a gift to remember his grace, his death and his resurrection, to encounter his presence, and as a foretaste of what is to come. It is the family meal. Now, what do you need to do to be invited around the table? You just need to have accepted the gospel, that Jesus died for you and rose again. Repent of your sins and have turned to Jesus. Now, as Brogan said, the only way to the meal is through the cross, but it is also the only requirement. And that makes the family gathering of the church the most, even though there's an exclusive claim, if you like, you can only come in through Jesus, it's also the most radical vision of inclusivity that you could ever imagine. We gather as family. And as we gather... Let me just say a few things about, how, um, about what happens when we gather. When we gather around the table, as a church family, we look in four different directions. Firstly, we look back to what Jesus has done for us on the cross and in rising to new life. We look forward with anticipation. As I said, this is a little precursor of the heavenly banquet that is to come where we'll feast and dine together as a family forever. We'll gather around the Lord's table and feast and celebrate forever. We look back, we look forward with anticipation. But as we receive the bread and the wine, we also look up in expectation of encounter with the presence of God himself. As we taste and see that the Lord is good, we encounter God himself we look up with, anti- with expectation, but we also look around. We look around and see that what Jesus did for us on the cross didn't just unite me to God. It united me to Mia. It united me to Mim, to Harriet, to Emma, to Ben, to everybody here. It united me with all of you that also believe in Jesus. We look around. In the liturgy um, that we'll say together in a minute, the words that Jesus has um, given the church to celebrate this meal, we'll say a verse from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, that goes like this. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. Though we're many, though we're different, Though we have different gifts, though we have different life stories, we are one loving family because Jesus' body was torn so that we could be whole. So this is the challenge for us. This is the encouragement to us and we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together as we respond. We're going to take communion as response. And just in the silence, you may just want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and apply these verses to your life, to your heart. How is it that God is calling you to live differently as a result of his word in 1 John 3? this morning.
Is there somebody, somebody you need to speak to? Is there a decision that you need to make to be in for the kind of community that Jesus is calling us to? Is there a commitment to practicing Matthew 18? What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking, encouraging and challenging in you right now? just want to put your hands out in front of you there's nothing special or obviously magical about it it's just a sign that you're willing and ready to receive that all God has for you in this moment as we come as a family to celebrate the meal that he has given us church let me say sorry for those of us that find this whole idea of community in the church difficult or painful or it brings up bad memories we pray now for a healing touch from God for our part in, in, in that for all of us because we all get stuff wrong we say sorry to you Father right now Lord take us and transform us to be this loving community that you call us to we receive communion as we say sorry to God as we expect encounter with him may you know his forgiveness through the death of Jesus and the empowering of the Holy Spirit right now